your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Jesse Granger. Jesse, what's going on, man? Not much. Having a good time. Playoffs is the best time of the year. Coming off a thrilling series, getting ready for another one. That's right. Yeah, we're coming off of Vegas's series win on Sunday night where they finished the Oilers off in six games. And what you and I are going to do here today is we're going to unpack how it happened, uh, what the Golden Knights did to give the Oilers problems, and maybe kind of do like a quick little look ahead. Uh, now that we do know that Vegas will be playing Dallas in the West final, we can kind of touch on that a little bit as, as some foreshadowing. But, you know, I wanted to start this with, I want to do a bit of a mea culpa on the Oilers. We're going to focus this certainly from, from the Golden Knights perspective, but I was... Anyone that's been listening to the show knows I was very high on them. Um, after the deadline, basically, heading into the playoffs, I kind of framed a lot of my series previews through rounds one and two, like through that lens. I just thought that after they acquired Matias at home, everything kind of fell into place for them, right? They looked different. The results reflected that. Um, a lot of the issues that, we'd pre- that they'd had previously and a lot of the concerns we'd had for why they kept falling short in the postseason appeared to be addressed, right? Like, their forward depth was holding up better than it ever had in the McDavid era previously. Uh, with Ekholm there, they were able to sort of limit the minutes of some of their other defensemen and ride him and Bouchard much more than they had previously. And their 5-on-5 play had much improved too, right? For all the talk about how historically great the power play had been and how much they were producing there, in round one, they went up against a really good 5-on-5 team in the Kings, and they dominated them particularly off the cycle. And I was like, all right, well, this is if this is going to be the norm for this team, we need to really adjust accordingly in terms of our expectations. And then they run into this Vegas Golden Knights team in round two, and pretty much every single one of those issues popped back up and got exploited and exposed by the Golden Knights. And so I don't know if if saying disappointing is the right thing, because I think maybe we should be celebrating what Vegas did and sort of how the, the comparison between the two teams for everything that Edmonton was lacking, Vegas kind of had none of those weaknesses themselves, but it it certainly didn't look like the series that I expected heading in. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with all of that. I thought that the Golden Knights were able to, to bring back some of those weaknesses um, because I was with you. I thought, wow, Edmonton looked so good against LA, especially at five on five. And knowing the disparity in the special teams, because not just how good Edmonton's power play is, but the Golden Knights power play has been bad for a long, long time, and it wasn't good in that series. Um, It scored some big goals for them, um, so they got a couple timely goals from it, but it still overall wasn't very good. And in my mind, it's like, I don't know how you can overcome that big of a disparity in special teams unless you're so obviously clearly the better team at five on five. And I wasn't sure if the Golden Knights could do that, but they did. Um, And I think a big part of it is you mentioned like the the faults for the Oilers that popped up like forward depth. We all kind of looked at their forwards and said, this is the deepest they've been, but they weren't as deep as the golden Knights and Mm -hmm. the golden Knights depth forwards just outplayed them. Um, And not necessarily in a head to head matchup. It was, they would out, they would, they would go out there and play a good shift against a McDavid or a dry sidle and basically neutralize that shift so that then when the Golden Knights top guys could get out there against one of the Oilers' depth lines, um, they the Oilers' depth lines couldn't neutralize Vegas' stars the way theirs did to Edmonton. So yeah, I think I think Vegas was uniquely built with a lot of strengths where the Oilers' weakest parts were. Well, and one of those was goaltending in this series, right? Stuart Skinner had an 875 save percentage, uh, natural statue had him at minus 5.2 goals save above expected in the six games, and he was pulled on three occasions, including in the last two in games five and six. And while there's, it's kind of lazy to just put all the blame on the goalie, because I think there's a lot of stuff that happened in front of them that led to that. It's impossible not to compare them to the guy at the other end of the ice, given the disparity in performance between the two. Right. And, and Aiden Hill comes in, I believe it was early in game three, right. When Laurent Brassois uh, yep. got hurt, kind of going side to side on a, on a two on one or off a rebound off of a, a rush shot. And, he was largely phenomenal. Like he had a 934 save percentage in the series, uh, plus 5.1 goal save above expected. So essentially mirrored in the other direction, what Stuart Skinner did. And, you know, it, the clincher is a great example where he gives up goals on the first two shots. The Oilers uh, take in game six, 
and then he just stops the next 39 with a bunch of high de- high degree of difficulty ones in there as well. And in watching that, I was thinking back last time I had you on the show, I looked, it was April 12th. So it was a few days before the playoffs started. And we had a conversation about who we think the Vegas Golden Knights goalie is going to be. And you correctly were like, it's going to be Lauren Brossois to start because he's been playing well and he's kind of gotten into this point recently. And then we had a whole conversation about Aiden Hill and how I was interested in him in an Oilers matchup because I felt like his athleticism and sort of his ceiling performance because of those physical gifts was gave them a unique opportunity against what this Oilers offense could look like. Now, obviously, didn't expect the circumstances in terms of coming in in game three after an injury, but certainly wound up coming in playing really well and showing a lot of the things that I think we liked about him in a matchup of this this kind of caliber. Yeah, he he played really well. It's basically the story of the Golden Knights season is they throw in an unheralded goalie. Um, I guess in the case of Jonathan Quick, not unheralded, but just struggling at this point in his career. And unheralded in in the case of Logan Thompson and Laurent Rousseau and Aiden Hill and even Yuri Patera, who came up from the AHL and played a few games for him. And all of them have played well. And the goalies deserve a ton of credit. And Aiden Hill deserves a ton of credit, especially after, I mean, giving up two the two first shots of the game, you give up goals. Um, I play goalie in men's league, and I can say I'm very experienced with giving up goals on the first two shots. And uh, the mental side of the game, rarely does it, no, not rarely, never do I save the next 39. Um, I'm usually <laughs> angry and not playing well for the rest of the game. I was so impressed with his ability to shake those off in a huge game in a tough environment and and play as well as he did. But as much credit as the goalies deserve, and they deserve a ton, I think the difference between Vegas getting the play they got out of Hill and even Bersois before that and what Edmonton got out of Skinner is Vegas makes life easy on their goalies. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done it all year. Bruce Cassidy said it when he got the job. I run a goalie-friendly system, and it's proven to be every bit of that all season long. They have constantly made the lives of whatever goalies in net so much easier than pretty much any other team. I think that they... The way they use their zone defense and create a shell around the slot and have all the shots coming from the outside, part of it is limiting the high danger chances. But I think another part of it is how many low danger chances they allow. They allow a ton of shots from the outside. They let their goalie, one, it boosts their save percentage because you're making a bunch of easy saves. Two, it Gets, it lets you feel the puck. It gets you some confidence. You don't feel like you're not playing in the game. Like sometimes your team doesn't allow any high danger chances as a goalie. You're kind of cold back there. And then suddenly it's a two on one and you give one up. It allows you to feel like you're part of the game. You're making saves. You're feeling the puck. And yet you're not being overextended. You're not being asked to make really, really tough saves. And then when you do have to make one, like the Ekholm uh, shot in the in the slot that, that Hill explodes over to get his blocker on, he's ready for it. Meanwhile, on the other side, I think the Oilers, they don't give up as many shots. You look at the shots in game six, and it was like 22 for Vegas, I think, mm-hmm. and 40-something for, for Edmonton. But they give up high-danger ones when they do, and they don't make life on their goalie easy. Like, you look at the third goal, I think it was, they double-screened Skinner, um, both of his own guys. There wasn't even a Golden Knights player in front of the net, and his two defensemen both screened him on the shot on Haig's blast. Um, so it was the fourth goal. And... They just did not make life on easy on Stuart Skinner. I just thought every goal that they scored, like maybe you could say was a little bit his fault, but there were always reasons to blame the defense every single time. So I think that, yes, the Golden Knights got the the advantage in the goalie department, just their goalie outplayed Edmonton's. But I also don't put that all on Skinner. I think if, and like a lot of people said, oh, they should have put Campbell in. Like, well, Campbell... I think out of 107 goalies this year, I think he ranked 104th in goal saved above expected. Like, yeah, he wasn't just the worst goalie in the league. Like he was worse than three goalies on every team in the entire NHL. Like he was awful this season. So I don't buy the like Jay Woodcroft made a mistake by going back to his goalie over and over again. So that's kind of my stance. on it. No, I completely agree. And I think part of the logic of why I was, you know, high on the Oilers heading in was like, Stuart Skinner was much better than Jack Campbell this year. And hopefully in the playoffs, they just won't have to play Jack Campbell because Stuart Skinner will be good enough. And that obviously wasn't the case here. You know, that's a great point you make about Hill there because I believe the the two goals he gave up, right? One was like a McDavid rush shot and he just beat him. And then the other one was kind of like a, a play coming out from behind the net. It was a high danger opportunity. And so on the one hand, it's nice after that to get some low danger 
saves in you to, to at least kind of be like, all right, I'm finally making, I've made more saves than I've given up goals against. We're off to a good start, right? At the same time, though, a trend in round two we've seen is that when it started snowballing, teams have really gone off the rails, right? Like some of these games have, and, and Vegas got the first goal in this one. So at least it was 2 1. It wasn't 2 0 right out of the gate. But we've seen a lot of these games, even in this series, all of a sudden you look up and it's 4 0, 5 1. And it's like, all right, this game's over. And then they make the goalie change. In this case, at least Hill like stuck around long enough to see it through and eventually give them the result that they got. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, but for sure on the 5 1 5 front in this series, Vegas won 15 to nine in terms of five on five goals. And for me, the key cattle battleground was off the rush. I was really curious to see how that would work out. I believe the even strength uh, goals off the rush were six to three in this series in Vegas's favor, if I have that correct. And a fun stat I have for you is in the four wins that Vegas had, they combined for 52 five on five rush shots in the two losses. They had just 12, uh, six in each game. And so I think that kind of, that details to me sort of the differences in game environment and kind of the seesaws we saw in this series in terms of the back and forth, particularly in the first four games, and also how much success Vegas was able to have when they finally got out in transition and got on the move and how they were able to attack the Oilers defensemen that way. Yeah, the Golden Knights have been this way for basically six years where they don't score all that well with sustained zone pressure. Um, when they've when when all 10 skaters are in the offensive zone and they have to cycle the puck around, they just don't find ways to score goals in those situations for the most part. Um, they they're excellent in transition. They have been for basically the, their entire existence. And when teams feed into that is when they're at their best. Um, and like Jay Woodcroft, after every Oilers loss. The reporters would come in. They'd ask him about how the stars didn't score, about how they couldn't get goals. He wanted none of it. All he wanted to talk about was the defensive miscues. And that's exactly what he's talking about is we didn't defend them well enough in transition and not just defending well, but managing the puck well enough to avoid having to defend in transition. Um, the Golden Knights are so good in the neutral zone. You look back to that series two years ago when they upset the avalanche um, after losing the first two games, they just shut Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen down in the neutral zone and would not let them get speed. And they would force miscues that when you have a team as dangerous as Colorado or Edmonton, their players are flowing up the ice so fast. So when you do force the turnover, when you do force the mistake, you've got a lot of players on the wrong side of the puck for the other team and you can take advantage the other way. And I, to me, this series mirrored that Colorado series so much in that Mark Stone, William Carlson, Riley Smith, Chandler Stevenson, Jack Eichel, all defended incredibly well in the neutral. And obviously the defensemen did a good job of keeping their gaps to allow those forwards to, to, to get in those lanes. But the forwards forcing mistakes by the defensemen in breakouts and by the forwards trying to gain the blue line um, allowed them to get into transition. And when you give the Golden Knights space, they finish. I There, there were so many two-on-ones for the Oilers that they didn't score on. And for a team that talented, that's... I mean, you're, you're not going to win many series if you're not finishing your two-on-ones, whereas the Golden Knights, when they would get a two-on-one rush, they would cash in on it. Um, so I think that was a big a big difference in the series. And it'll be fascinating because I believe the Stars have scored more rush goals so far this postseason than any other team by a pretty significant margin. I think ESPN during yep. last night's Game 7 flashed. They had like six more or something than anyone else in the league. So yep. that'll be a, that'll be a heck of a battleground there. I'm excited about that, but I'm doing a big, big preview coming up soon, so I don't want to step on the toes of that too much. But okay, on the other side, though, like they really just pummeled that CC nurse pairing, and I think it's I think that's an important point for us to hit here that that you can't overlook because in Cody CC's eighty two five on five minutes, Vegas won that matchup eight to one. In the other one hundred and eighty six minutes, it was eight seven Edmonton, and for me, what was strange, and we can talk more about coaching here and kind of transition to that because I know we wanted to highlight sort of the the disparity in what Bruce Cassidy was able to do here versus Jay Woodcroft. When someone's getting hammered to that extent, and this isn't like, a, you know, some sort of niche expected goal model or like something where it's like, oh, you have to go on on the dark web to find out this this metric that no one else knows about. This is This is pure goals being scored and also just like from the eye test of seeing it happen before your very eyes. Generally, when that's when the game's or a series is going that way and a player specifically is getting hammered to that extent, a coach you'd think would like 
take extreme measures to try and alleviate that pain, right? Whether it's making some sort of a tactical change or significantly shifting their usage. And in this series, not that he necessarily had too many options to experiment with, but Jay Woodcroft just kind of kept going back to that well. Like he didn't really seem to be able to do anything to stop that bleeding. And I think that's a bit of a failure, both in terms of the roster construction and also his own in this series. And I think that that's kind of a case in point of the difference between these two teams here, where that was a very exploitable weakness and Vegas just kept kind of pressing down on it. Whereas Edmonton wasn't really able to do anything like that to them on the, on the other end of the ice. Right. Yeah. And and when you say that, you bring those numbers up, like you, you mentioned the eye test in my head, I'm picturing Vegas getting to CC on the four check over and over and over. Like they, once they would get pressure on him, they would pin him up against the boards and win that battle. And, and generally a scoring chance comes shortly after, um, they, the Golden Knights have done this for both rounds in these playoffs um, in terms of like Winnipeg. They got to their defensemen, pinned them against the walls and were able to create chances off it. Um, and a big part of it's Jack Eichel. Like I've been so impressed with him off the puck. Um, and then he was really good in that series, too. So he he's going to the front of the net. He was beating CC a lot. And I just when I think back to this series and I think about puck battles, because I feel like the Golden Knights winning puck battles was a big part of the reason they won. CC was on the wrong end of a lot of those um, when I think back to it. So, yeah, I, I do think that. And, and, and in terms of Bruce Cassidy and the way he I thought the way he managed things when Petrangelo got suspended was brilliant because he had a tough decision to make. And honestly, he was waffling because you look at the way he lined them up in morning skate the day of the game. It was different than what he decided to do at game time. So Petrangelo goes out. He's their top pairing right side defenseman that's played next to Alec Martinez basically the entire season. <clears throat> the options were, do I put Nick Haig up there? Now, you're putting Nick Haig on his offside, the side he's not comfortable playing, against in, in a top pair minutes role yep. with a player he's almost never played with. Like it's, it's like five games he's played with Alec Martinez. That was what he did in morning skate. That's the way he lined up. And then you put Ben Hutton, who's your seventh defenseman. You plug him into the bottom pair with White Cloud and call it a day. Or, which is what Cassidy ended up doing last minute, and it was brilliant, put Ben Hutton, your seventh defenseman who's only played a, one playoff game up to this point, put him in next to Martinez on that top pair, leave Hagen White Cloud together, and just elevate their role. And I thought it was it worked so well because so Hagen White Cloud have played together, not just basically their entire NHL career, but they played together in the Chicago Wolves organization in the AHL growing like they played two full seasons paired together as the top pairing in the AHL. Then they get bumped up. They're probably the best bottom pair in the NHL. I've been saying it all year. I think they are the best bottom pair. So you keep Hag on his comfortable side with a guy he's known forever. They communicate so well. Just give them more responsibility. Let them play against McDavid and Dreisaitl a little more and lower Martinez and Hutton's responsibility. You're, Martinez is going to be playing with someone new regardless. So lower the load on those guys. And I just thought, and it worked brilliantly. That might have been Vegas's best defensive game of the entire series, and they did it without Alex Petrangelo. So uh, I thought Cassidy was was excellent all series long he's been he's out coached both coaches that the, the golden knights have played in bonus um and woodcroft he's got a bit tougher of a matchup with pete DeBoer here coming mm. up but yeah cassidy's been brilliant yeah and you know despite not having the luxury of last change in what three of the final four games uh after it was one one heading to edmonton it felt like as the series progressed he was also able to more and more often get every matchup that he seemed to prefer as it went along right and and what sticks out to me is so in games one and two, um, the Oilers were being able to kind of get like that Ryan McLeod sort of checking line out against Jack Eichel's unit more often. I think they play like eight five on five minutes head to head, and in that time, Eichel's line generated the one goal, but shots were eight to four for Edmonton, high danger chances three to one, and the Oilers you'd think would love that matchup based on those results, right? And then you go to games three to six the rest of the way. They wind up playing just nine minutes head to get head to head against each other. Um, don't really see it at all, despite the fact that once again shots were six two, high danger chances four nothing in that time for the Oilers. And instead, Cassidy's able to get Eichel out against either Dreisaitl after the Oilers split him and McDavid up, or Bukestad. And with both guys kind of generally being having CC and Nurse as their last line of defense, 
and they just teed off on those combinations. I think Eichel's line outscored Dreisaitl 4 nothing in 28 minutes, 3 nothing against Bukestad in shots for 18-5 to in those 20 minutes. And that's about as one-sided as it gets. And so being able to free up your top scoring line that way and then what they did as a result of that is also, I think, why this opened up for Vegas the way that it did. And, and kudos to him because he managed it perfectly, right? He was able to to get either Carlson or, or that kind of Stone-Stevenson combination against McDavid more often than not. And then that freed up Eichel to just basically, like, I'm with you. He was awesome along the boards. He was awesome off the puck. But the difference maker in this series was him, Barbashev, and Marcheseau creating goals. And they were able to do so, I think, in large part because of what their coach did to put them in that position. Yep, I totally agree. Um, and and I think a big part of that that leads to that. And like you, you, you look at you, you say like, well, Woodcroft had last change. Like, why is he not getting that matchup? I think the biggest reason was the job that William Carlson was doing on Dreisaitl and McDavid. Um, they didn't. The Oilers did not score a goal this series with with William Carlson on the ice against those two, mm-hmm. uh, which is incredible. Um, and. Woodcroft even admitted it after the loss in game six. Um, we, we asked him about not, he, he was basically avoiding putting McDavid on the ice against Carlson. And he said, well, that's the matchup that Vegas would like. So we were trying to not have that. And then Cassidy said, well, that tells you what they think about William Carlson that they're, mm-hmm. and, and it backfired. It backfired on him because Cassidy puts Carlson out to start the game. Woodcroft says, okay, well, we're not putting McDavid out there. And then Connor McDavid ends up playing five minutes and 26 seconds in the first period, which I looked at that on the stat sheet during the intermission. And I was like, this has got to be a typo. Yeah. Let me, let me go on the internet. Let me go on the, on the NHL page and see what the number actually is. I could not believe my eyes. Connor McDavid played five minutes and he scored the goal on the first shift of the game, <clears throat> his first shift. Yep. And then just didn't look in rhythm for the rest of the game. And, and back to the McLeod line, Woodcroft decided to put the McLeod line out there against Carlson as much as possible in order to have Dreisaitl and McDavid away from Carlson. So Carlson's defensive efforts, and not just Carlson, <clears throat> Amadio and uh, Waugh and Smith, who played against that on that mm-hmm. on that line, were, ex- were excellent also. It wasn't just William Carlson, but he's, he's obviously the center, so he gets talked about the most. But the way they played against the Oilers stars forced Woodcroft to put that McLeod line against them just for no other reason to avoid, to try to get his stars going, to try to get Dreisaitl and McDavid going. And that allowed Eichel to play against some more favorable matchups. So yes, I think when you look at the way these lines matched up, whether it was in Vegas or in Edmonton, Cassidy got the better of it. No, he did certainly. And and I'm glad you, you highlighted Carlson there. I mean, he was, he had 28 minutes head to head five on five against McDavid in the series and not a single goal was scored. And, and the Vegas didn't generate any themselves, but I think they'll take that trade off, right? It's kind of like you're sacrificing yourself for the betterment of the team. And that is why, you know, he's had some goals in this postseason, and, and there's a handful of Vegas Golden Knights that have more points for him than him, all situations, but he has been right up there as their most important player because of that two-way element and what he's meant to allowing some of these other matchups to fall into place. And so I wanted to give him a bit of, bit of love there. And, you know, that Eichel line, so they were up 8-1 to one at 5-1-5 for the series. Him, Barbashev, and Marcia So combined for 11 goals in all situations. And Marcia So in particular, you know, he has that natural hat trick in game six, which is kind of the cherry on top. But even before then, I thought he was getting about as many good looks as you could possibly ask for. I think for the series, I had him down for 16 scoring chances. He had 34 shots on goal in just six games. And so they were the difference for them. They were able to keep creating sustainable sources of offense. And so, you know, kudos to everyone involved because it worked out from a chess match perspective. It worked out perfectly. It's almost like Cassidy kind of baited Woodcroft into this. And and I'm totally with you. It looked like they were spooked a little bit by that matchup in, in game six. And at that point, they totally took themselves out of the element by their trying to avoid it so drastically where it's like you have Connor McDavid. You should be the one enforcing your will right. in this situation. And, and it was reminiscent, different players, but the conversation we had when Vegas was able to come back from down 2 nothing against Colorado, and they did a similar thing to Nathan McKinnon's line, where by the end of that series, Jared Bednar was like jumping through hoops just to get McKinnon off of the ice whenever Stone was out there. And that totally yep. threw everything they were trying to do and everything that made them successful in the regular season completely out of whack. Totally. Marsha, so man, he's been so impressive. I mean, he, so like he started the playoffs on a, like he was really snake bitten. He couldn't score. 
Um, I think he went the first seven games up until game three of this series without a goal. And Bruce Cassidy, I was talking to him after the game, and he's like, yeah, at that point, about halfway through the playoffs, he realized I'm not going to be able to score these one-timer goals on the rush. Like they're not setting it on a tee for me. I've got to go to the dirty areas of the ice. And Marsha, so he is very generously listed at five, nine. He's not five, nine, no chances. He five, nine. He's like five, seven at best. Um, he's a little guy, but he plays like he's six, six. Um, the, his, his second goal of that game, I just thought was such a great example of how like, yes, the golden Knights coaching the, the the strategy beat Edmonton, but you have to ha- the players have to win individual battles. Mm-hmm. And Marcia So's second goal um, in the middle of that natural hat trick was he checks Dreisaitl behind the net, behind the Oilers net, separates him from the puck. Then he skates to the front, shoulder checks Dreisaitl out of the way. Dreisaitl's got like four inches and 30 pounds on him. Shoulder checks him out of the way and then immediately pushes Nurse out of the way to clear this giant space in front of the net. And it's like, these two guys have six inches and 40 pounds on my, on Marcia. So, and yet he won both those battles. Uh, Martinez's shot goes off Skinner's arm bounces up in the air. And then Marcia is there to slam dunk it in. And it's like, the only reason he's there to slam dunk it in is because he just pushed two guys there twice his size out of that area so that he could be there. Um, super impressive individual effort by Marcia. So, yeah. And he was one of a number of guys that that contributed in meaningful ways in this series. And, and that's what that's the my lasting takeaway from this and kind of the differences between these two teams, right? Like Oilers, for all the talk about even their bottom six depth or whatever, what really let them down here was their top six wingers, where they just didn't do nearly enough. I believe between Hyman, Nugent Hopkins, Yamamoto, and uh, Evander Kane, they combined for two goals in this series. One was like a goal to make it four nothing. Uh, in game four and another just kind of bounced in off of Zach Hyman. He didn't actually even do anything in front of the net. And considering all the opportunities McDavid and Dre Saddle were able to create, that's not good enough. Whereas with Vegas, not only did they get contributions from everyone, but they also showed no kind of discernible weaknesses as well. They were able to kind of play in various different game environments and forums. And so as we look ahead to the, the West final, that's what makes it such a riveting matchup for me amongst many other reasons is that, the stars are much more suited to kind of hang in that way where they're getting contributions from a bunch of guys up and down the lineup. They can play in different ways themselves. They're not necessarily a one no team that's limited to having to play a specific type of game. And so I think that's going to make for one heck of a West final. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I agree. I think Dallas mirrors the Golden Knights very, there, there's a lot of similarities, whereas the Oilers and Golden Knights, it was kind of a like, like, can this type of team beat this type of team series? Mm-hmm. Um, Dallas, you look at their, I look, I was actually, I was writing the preview last night and I look at their lines and it's like, wow, they have three legitimate scoring lines with the, with the scoring kind of pretty evenly distributed. Obviously that top line is, is putting up numbers even without Robertson scoring a lot, but, and then they've got a fourth line. That's like checking line guys. And that's exactly what the golden Knights have. The golden mm-hmm. Knights have three legitimate scoring lines with the Eichel line, the stone line and the Carlson line. And then their fourth line is dirty checking players that are going to get, try to get greasy goals. And, and it's just, and then you look at the stars blue line. They've got some offense with, with Heisken in. they've got really good depth veteran defensemen down the, down the pairs. It's these teams mirror each other. And then, and then the stars have the a massive advantage in net. But the Golden Knights outdid. I mean, the first round, it was Hellebuck versus Bressois, and Bressois got the better of it because the Golden Knights made life easy on him. So it's going to be interesting to see if, I mean, it's a tall task to ask Aiden Hill to outplay Jake Ottinger, but I think it can be done. Yeah, I think so too. I'm excited about it. Uh, looking forward to, to deep diving that uh, in the next couple of days. Jesse, I'm going to let you go here. I'll let you quickly uh, plug some stuff and let the listeners know where they can check you out. Thanks. Yeah, it's lots of uh, stories going up. This is the time of year where it's like it seems like every eight hours there's a new story up on the athletic. But uh, yeah, lots of playoff coverage. I have a big thing coming out on Jack Eichel and how maybe he's one of the favorites for the con Smythe in his first playoffs ever. So uh, go check that out at theathletic.com. Mm, well, not if I can. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a William Carlson push. So he's gonna have to uh, get through me first. Um, Jesse, enjoy the West Final. Keep up the great work. We're gonna check in with you. Uh, sometime down the road here soon, hopefully. And we're going to let you go here. We're going to take a break ourselves. And then when we come back, we're going to finish up the show with a look at the other side of the West bracket. You're listening to the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, we're back here on the Hockeypedia cast. We've replaced Jesse Granger with our pal Sean Shapiro. Uh, Sean, you're accepting the hot tag, coming into the ring, into the ring here, bring the heat. Uh, what's going on, bud? It's not. Uh, it's not too much, actually. It's it's weird, right? Like we've gone like nights after nights with playoff hockey, and now we go. Is it two dark nights, three dark nights without games after uh, before the start of the next round? So two it's, dark uh, nights, Tuesday and Wednesday, right? And then yeah. Thursday, Carolina against Florida yeah. starts. Um, I mean, in the, here in the content game, I certainly don't mind it. It's nice to have yeah. some time to do our recaps round two and do the previews for round three. All that's great. But it does certainly feel weird to have nothing on the schedule tonight. So who knows? Might, uh, yeah. might just hang out. We'll see how yeah. it goes. But yeah, yeah. here's the plan. So let's talk stars cracking. We're coming fresh off of last night's game seven. Um, you know, it was, it was a tense game, I thought, especially at the start, right? When it's like that close, it's 0-0 for what? The first half of the game or so, uh, late into the second period. There's a couple posts at either end. But, um, you know, the, I definitely subscribe to the theory of like in these game sevens where it's do or die, the longer the game goes on, the more the underdog should be viewed as as is like it's it's in their favor, right? Because it feels like there's a weird energy in the rink. You start kind of like hearing murmuring and that angst amongst the home fans, like wondering like what's gonna happen here? Are our hearts just gonna be absolutely crushed any minute now? Um, and also you, you know, just have more variance. There's fewer events left in the game. And so if you are an underdog, all you really need to do is just score the one goal, and then you could probably hang on. And that's why that Rupe Hints goal that he scored was just so enormous beyond the fact that it, it put them up one, nothing. It just felt like such a release of energy. And it was, it was a vintage. I, I hate when young players already have vintage attached to them, but it was such a vintage <laughs> Rupe Hintz moment. I thought. Yeah, it was kind of, it was, you're watching that game and it was one of those moments where with how the game was played, it was always it, for the longest time. It didn't feel like, if Dallas would win, it would be when Dallas would win. But the longer it's zero zero, that when turns into that that when starts to turn into ifs, if that makes any sense, right? Like the longer it's zero zero, the longer it becomes. Well, maybe the Seattle forecheck creates a weird goal. Maybe a shot takes a, a weird bounce. Maybe you get this and you're, and maybe it's Grubauer's night and the hints goal kind of settled things back to the norm of the game. It, the, the score at least started to reflect the fact that Dallas was controlling possession. They were the better team and the hints goal kind of put everything back to a normal level where the score is like, okay, this is this is how this game is going. The score at least somewhat reflects what we're seeing in front of us. And uh definitely had that impact watch it on the stars. Definitely had that impact on them. Some of the uneasiness that had we could have potentially crept in a little bit more didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh it was uh I mean and it was also you are right, vintage vintage rope hints. I mean the 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 I I liked watching that game and if you like screen grab it it's kind of one of those like Jamie Alexiak has like one of those like like one of those movie moments where it's like you're probably wondering how I got here like mm-hmm. right there like right when when the puck's kind of like when he's when he's struggling to control it and hints is like six feet away like I'm sure he's you... had that experience in practice many times in the past exactly yes so that was uh that moment obviously uh it's kind of it's where the series kind of ends right there. Obviously, I know Seattle scores late in the game, and 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 yep. White Johnson, and you need the second one to make it two to one. But that moment right there, that's the one where that made sure the team that was deserved to win last night won. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just and I feel for Alexiak because on on the replay, it looks bad, right? It's like, oh, what yeah. a boneheaded mistake by him. But then you put yourself in those shoes, and you just have this maniac flying at you a million miles an hour, and it was vintage because he rushes at him, he pokes it away, and then just moving at an extreme speed downhill just rips it past the goalie. And it was also like such an infusion or shot of adrenaline as well, right? And, you know, not that this affected the home crowd, obviously, because you have your own sort of energy and excitement there. But as a viewer at home, just hearing Bob Wischusen's call of it was also 
amazing, right? Because it reflected the kind of the moment where the buildup and energy and the excitement and then the release. And so it was, it was, it was a perfect moment and it was really cool. And, and, and avoiding going into that second intermission where you're like, all right, it's zero, zero. And we're going into a third period. This is a very scary situation where anything can go wrong as you, as you alluded to avoiding that as well was huge. And, you know, in that game, it really felt like the stars gave the Kraken some of their own medicine, right. With that like swarming defensive effort. There are a number of times where they caused a, with their four check, a turnover behind the net and then quickly whipped it out front and got a good scoring chance off of it. And they just didn't give them anything all game. I In the 52 five on five minutes, they were played. The Kraken generated 17 shots, 1.3 expected goals. And I had the scoring chances at 19 to six for Dallas before they pulled Grubauer and kind of mounted a, yeah. a late spirited comeback towards the end there. But it was, it was, uh, it was good to see that it was, uh, a well-earned win and it was also a, a reflection of the series as a whole right because you look at it now we have the snapshot of these seven games and there were a bunch of twists and turns in terms of goalies being pulled and exchanging blowouts and stuff at the end of the day each team scored 26 goals in this series yeah the shots were very close i think seattle actually got slightly better of it but then if you look at it the high danger chances all the scoring chances were so far in favor of Dallas. And that's kind of also become a trademark of theirs over the past couple of years. But even, even this year under, under Pete DeBoer, where the quality they're able to generate of their shots is always going to be um, significantly higher than just the raw shots. And that was, that was the case in this series. And that was certainly the case in this game as well. Yeah. And it was, uh, and it's a game too, where like, I know, it's only two one and it looks that way, but it is a game where you have to give you have to tip your hat to Grubauer kept the game closer early on than it than it should have been. Like you're watching that game and you're looking at shot quality. And it was also a game that kind of encapsulated the series too, because like you look at you want the the two minutes that will probably show in the Kraken postseason highlight reel when Dave Haxel shows his team. It'll be that first period power play where they blocked what ten shots, nine nine or ten shots on that mm-hmm. on that Dallas power play in the first period where it's like that's the video where it's like you play like the uh, you play like an epic like music score yes, or whatever yeah. like this is like this crescendoing is what, like, towards yeah, exactly. Brandon Tanev throwing his body around yeah <laughs> yeah like this is what we're all about this is like that will be like the that will be like in like cracking TV commercials next year of like the team putting the body on the line and, uh, and everything like that. And it just, the series kind of the Kraken worked hard. They built a team that is, has reached higher uh, heights than, than an expansion team is supposed to. I know Vegas re changed the kind of what everyone expects with expansion teams, but in reality, you're not supposed to be in this spot in year two. And part of it is Seattle built a team that, works hard and does and, and and comes at you this way. And so it was really was a good capsulation of the entire series and the better team advanced. And and I cool. think at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to get with these best of seven series. Yeah. Sean, just so you know, though, Kraken don't reach greater heights. They were, they, they reach greater depths. Yeah. 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 I think that's an important <laughs> distinction here. If we're going to be, uh, you know, if we're going to call it like it is, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the only negative for me, and you're right, the better team won, is uh, I'd been to a couple games now during this run, uh, one in each series at Climate Pledge and in Seattle, and I really just enjoyed it. It was a great experience, fun time, awesome rink. Um, and I'd forgotten how much I missed like just going to playoff hockey, uh, living here in Vancouver, and not having had a chance to watch too many of those games <laughs> over the past handful of years. And so uh won't get to do that. I was, I was, I was, I was definitely planning. I was like, man, I'm going to go for games three or four of the conference final if Seattle advances here. So going to miss that, but might have to, might have to make a trip out to, to Dallas, especially if there's a uh, Stanley cup final game there this year. Let's go through some of the, some of the heroes yeah. of the game seven then. So mentioned yeah. Rupe Hintz, right? Um, obviously stood out, had the 13 shot attempts, scored the goal, uh, kind of some, not cementing cause there's still so much more runaway here, but through two rounds so far and away, the cons my favorite at this point, in my opinion, um, especially with some of the players that have been eliminated recently. It just, it feels like it's kind of open there for him. I mean, the nine goals, 10 assists in 13 games, already a handful of these memorable moments yeah. that are like unique to Rupe hints as well. So that's someone to track. 
can talk about Miro Haskin in here as well. Um, I don't know if you have any other notes on, on hints or we can move move on to Miro, but I think both guys, yeah, I mean, because the hints. depth is a story, certainly, but I think the, the role those two guys played, particularly with the season on the line, should not be glossed over. Well, yeah, and I, th- I think hints, it should be noted too. Like you talk about his his performance is so great and vital and, and important and everything like that, but it's also, um, it was needed with, and we've talked about, and, and you look at Jason Robertson, he started to find a little bit of it, but Jason Robertson doesn't score in that series. And the fact that, so without... Rope Hintz was doing the heavy lifting by necessity as well, because he had to kind of step up in a space where the guy who had 109 points in the regular season didn't look like that guy. And I think that's important. I mean, it, I, I did find it a little bit funny. It's just, people are talking about like, Oh, well, Hintz is right up there with the the two, the Edmonton guys when it comes to scoring and everything like that. And it, just, it was never also followed up. Oh, by the way, those guys are out of the playoffs now. Mm. Like that's like, like it's, um, I, I do, I do think we should make a quick note of, uh, the past five stars games, um, have now the game winning goal has been scored by someone who lives in the Pavelski residence. Mm. I think, I think that's, I think that's, uh, I know they can't, uh, when you, when you look at, uh, Con Smythe voting and things like that. I'm not sure how being the Just landlord the household. Yeah. yeah. Yes, the Pavelski household has uh that's five straight games of the Pavelski household scoring the game winning goal. So that's uh that, that's important. And obviously, I mean Kashkin in last night. That's another that's another difference in that Dallas Seattle series, right? Where we saw how disheveled Dallas got when he got hurt and left the game. And as good of a Seattle story is and i like the depth they built on their defense it's a pretty good really good defense for a second year team they don't have anyone like hashkin and that's the difference and he played what 32 minutes or whatever last night and it's wow dallas it's become so it, it is i have very it, few teams it, do have a, a yes, mirror of yes, their yeah. own right um yeah but yeah 3207 last night these are his i tweeted this but these are his ice time totals in this series in games where he actually played the full game and didn't leave after having his face broken uh yeah. 2857 2559 3102 2851 3454 um yeah. so quite the workload and you know a couple defensive plays in in game 7 in particular that i noticed where and i thought the broadcast w- was awesome particularly the play by play but and th- so this isn't unique to them but he makes it look so easy sometimes in like these little plays where a Ryan Donato or something would take the puck into the zone and then quickly have his time and space taken away to the point where he just gets like sealed up against the boards and then Suter or whoever the, the stars player around there is can just basically come and just take the puck for themselves and then break it out or pass it to someone else. And it's just like immediately got removed in the cleanest way possible by yeah. Miro and he does that a handful of times and makes it look so easy that the commentator almost doesn't even note it it's like if they're talking, yeah. just having a conversation about some other anecdote or something they don't stop to be like oh what a play there it yeah. just kind of keeps going with the with the play-by-play call and the way the way he does it, it it's almost I think left in the wrong hands a lot of these plays could go wildly differently but we yeah. just never get to actually see the other team turn it into what it could have been because he stops it at such an early point in time in the sequence. And so I wanted to note that because it's just, it's a joy to watch anyone that says defense is boring has clearly never watched Miro Haskin and do his thing. It's, it's like watching the, it's like if someone, if you really wanted to like watch an NFL Sunday game and ISO on like, I don't know who's, who's, like a like a, a top cornerback in the lean right right mm-hmm. now like a like a Stephen Gilmore or something like that. I'm I'm far from the NFL expert now, so if someone who's uh could could give me a better example than that. But if if you wanted to ISO on one of the best cornerbacks in the league and just see how they basically position and take out a top receiver, like it's what Heishkinen does to throughout the entire game. It's impressive, and he is someone who guess you and I have both watched a lot of Dallas stars hockey. You really appreciate it there. And I think it's something that um, unless you watch the stars a lot, you sometimes miss it because you can think that's, Oh, that's just, that's coincidence that the guy ended up there. But then you watch 
this team over and over again, you realize how much Hashkinen really just by the way he skates plays to death. It's, mm-hmm. it's impressive. Really cool. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to fire myself up for this West final. I think he's going to be oh, awesome. Yeah. I think it yep. is very deserving of determining who the Western conference representative is going to be in the Stanley cup final. And I've, I've seen some takes so far that are like, what a disaster for the NHL this is. I don't care about these teams. And I'm sorry, that just says more about you than it says about this 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 series. Like that just, you clearly have not been paying attention then. You're probably just following on Twitter and like watching team accounts tweet little clips or something because I don't know how you, you can watch these teams and not be really excited about not only... um the on ice product, which I think is going to be really fun and play it at a super high level that's aesthetically friendly, but also just the storytelling, right? It's like, oh, how do you market these teams? I don't know. Pick one out of a handful of very easily marketable storylines from Pete DeBoer going against his former team. Yeah. Evgeny Dodonov, the way he was discarded, playing a big role now for the Stars team against his former team. The, the rematch of the 2020 bubble West final, which maybe, okay, fair enough. We don't want to relive that necessarily. Um, but, you know, there's so many things here to the point where it's an a hundred, it's a 111 point team that finished first in its conference against a 108 point team that was second in the league in goal differential this season. Like these are two elite teams. This isn't like, oh, these scrappy underdog story of two wildcard teams that are lucky to be here. These were the, arguably the two best teams in the Western conference this season. And now they're playing for the chance to, to move on to the Stanley cup final. I, I, I hate the, the other thing that's been just hilarious to me has been the, uh, I've seen some of the Twitter takes of like, Oh, well it's small market. And like, if you want, if you want to make the case for, for the Eastern final and you want to try to throw it around and I could, I would even argue with you on some extent there, but Dallas is the fourth largest market in North America, which is, which would therefore in the world, I I don't know this makes it pretty large. And then Vegas is arguably the most, I don't know. It's probably after it may even be one of the most recognizable cities in North America. Now, um, depending on when you think about it's, where it is with formula one and where it is worldwide. Like to call these two sit to call it small market is kind of objectively hilarious. And yeah. uh, it's objectively I mean, hilarious. Patently falls. Exactly. Exactly. And it is, it's going to be a fun series. It's going to be, there's the, the storylines are, 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 are great with this. Like I love the, from a Vegas perspective. And I know Jesse, you and Jesse probably already talked about this, but like the Jack Eichel conference final, right? Like this mm-hmm. is, this is, this is, we get, we get to see Jack Eichel in the conference final. We get to see the, uh, the stars have, are the like quintessential. I know Joe Pavelski is always going to, we've talked about Pavelski, but Pavelski is always going to be the quintessential old guy without a cup mm-hmm. because of, but, but we're looking at, and I'm working on something right this for for the magazine Dallas in Dallas right now D magazine working on a story about that where the fact that we're getting this far and we're talking about we're missing Jamie Ben's not the storyline right Jamie Ben is Jamie Ben is kind of the background character because of where he is at his career and everything like that but where I I remember and obviously having covered the team I covered it more closely than many other people. I remember the the end of that 2020 bubble run where there's that viral video where the uh, my good friend Jeff Totes is the, was the videographer for the time um, where he captured the video where after the Stars lost that game uh, game six to the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Edmonton bubble, the entire team's out of the locker room and Ben is still sitting there and just full pads, just completely broken down. Like this is Jamie Ben's, he's getting his chance to get back there again probably much sooner than a lot of us would have thought and expected. Um, so there's so many great stories about this and it's going to be a fun series. The hockey is going to be good. And like, this is, these are two teams that aren't going anywhere. Like you look like Wyatt Johnson scored the game winning goal in, in the last yep. series. He's, he's, he's not going anywhere. We've seen how Vegas continues to build and, and, and reload and everything like that. This is, 
this is not supposed this is this is going to be part of the norm going forward uh and that's i i love how angry i don't know how many years of angry dallas ver- how many angry columns we can get of vegas is the most northern team in the stanley cup uh, court f- semifinals like i that's well i i'm, I'm yeah, I, mean, yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's going to be such a more uh fun series to watch purely in terms of the product as well like the stars team yes. is just so oh, much yes. more fun yeah. than, than that version yeah. that, that made yeah. it far um yeah and you know you mentioned ben there uh how about tyler sagan getting to play yeah. in a series with like a functioning body after oh, what, what he yeah. went through yeah. last time right yeah. so um yeah no the storylines are amazing if if you as a as a, a person of the me- not not you yourself but as a media member if you can't <laughs> market this as a league if you can't promote it then that's on you and you need to reflect on why that is because it's it's very easy to promote this and get excited about it that's what we're doing here i'm fired up about it i'm excited to do this uh preview it tomorrow on the show more uh sean we're out of time here i'm gonna let you go i i do want to i do i do want to give you one thing real quick because you and i talked about it there was when Derek lalonde was on sportsnet he let he sparked the uh he was he said the thing about Andre Vasilevsky mm-hmm. and John, and I want to give you, I want to hear your thoughts on this real quick. So I'm hijacking the show for a second. Okay. John, John Cooper is going to be on the panel for game two of the TNT series. Is there a chance where we get John Cooper just basically stealing the narrative to talk about Derek Lalonde? I, what is it or what, what is the revenge? What is the revenge point John Cooper brings up here? Um, when all of a sudden uh, he is now on, the one on a panel after he's been the one playing in these uh, series for the I last three be, years. I think it'd be way more fun if he just totally took it in a, a just audible and was like, so this is how you want to target more insider on his own entries <laughs> or something. And then it was like, like, what? Like, where did that come from? This is, this is, yeah. he's been working on this for weeks. Um, yes. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, John Cooper is, is always fun to listen to. So yeah. I'm sure he's going to provide some, some nuggets and not necessarily be restricted to the, to the general coach speak that we sometimes frown upon. Uh, Sean, enjoy this series. We're going to have you back on soon. Um, uh, the only thing I'm going to promote, as I was going to say, was everyone should go check out EP Ringside, where you and I yep. both work. We're going to have a bunch of content about this series and then gearing up for the draft as well. So if you haven't subscribed, this is a great time to do so. Smash that five-star button wherever you listen to the show, and we'll be back tomorrow with that conference finals preview. Thank you for listening to the Hockey PDOcast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.